spinning round in my brain Like the bubbles in a glass of champagne You go to my head Like a sip of sparkling burgundy brew And I find the very mention of you Like the kicker in a julep or two The thrill of the thought that you might Give a thought to my plea Cast a spell over me Still I say to myself Get a hold of yourself Can't you see that it never can be You go to my head With a smile that makes my temperature rise Like a summer with a thousand Julys You intoxicate my soul with your eyes Though I'm certain that this heart of mine Hasn't the ghost of a chance in this crazy romance You go to my head I mean, seriously, don't you think? I don't know who picks these songs. So anyway, let's pray. Father, uh, we ask that by the power of your spirit in the name of Jesus, you would cause us to preach. Amen. Ephesians chapter 5. Hey, Dunk, I can't talk to people. I'm supposed to preach. But, but it's Ephesians chapter 5. I've been preaching through Ephesians verse 15. Look well then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Uh, and, or that is, don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Don't get drunk with wine. That's, that's pretty clear, don't you think? Last Thursday night, 4th of July, uh, a pickup truck slammed into five people walking down the road after a fireworks display near Grand Lake. The father died. 
four of his family were severely injured and the driver of the truck was drunk. I read somewhere that one-fourth of all emergency room uh, admissions, one-third of all suicides, one-half of all homicides and instances of domestic violence are related to alcohol abuse. I've watched relatives struggle and die, even buried some from alcohol abuse. I've watched the almost demonic effect that it can have on friends of mine, and I've abused alcohol myself. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Paul writes, Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the greedy, nor the drunkard will inherit the kingdom. So why do we tolerate alcohol at all? You see, the problem is the Bible. Even though we're repeatedly warned against the abuse of alcohol, alcohol is not only tolerated, sometimes it's mandated in the Bible. Numbers, chapter 28, verses 1 through 8. Through Moses, God instructs Israel to feed him each day. You should read this when when you go home. To feed him. uh, And uh, he tells them what he wants to eat. Lamb. One lamb in the morning, one lamb in the meeting, in the, in the evening, and then, and then two other things, um, bread and strong drink. The Hebrew word literally means intoxicating drink. In fact, um, the word is built on the Hebrew word for in, intoxicate, so God is basically saying, feed me bread and wine and grape juice doesn't count. Deuteronomy 14. God commands all Israel to take one-tenth of their income each year to purchase, quote, according to King James, whatsoever their um, soul lusteth after, oxen, sheep, wine, strong drink. And then they are commanded to consume it, all that their soul lusteth after, before him, in, in, in his presence. Proverbs uh, 31, my friend Nate pointed this out to me this week. Verse 4, it's not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink. Verse 6, give strong drink to the one who's perishing and wine to those bitter in soul. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Well, that's a crazy world of the Old Testament, right? So, I mean, Jesus is going to clean it all up and make sense out of it in the New Testament, right? John chapter 2, Jesus' inaugural miracle. He changes water into wine in order to keep a wedding, a wedding party, a wedding banquet going, and it appears that the people at the party are already at least tipsy. Uh, The water was in six stone jars. And, you know, that represents the six days of creation. And the party, if you calculate, was on the, the seventh day, which represents the finished creation. The jars contain water for ritual purification, which clearly represents the law. So it's like Jesus is saying, I have come to fill all space and time with wine from the seventh day and fulfill or to fully fill all the law with an intoxicating spirit, which will fuel a wedding party that is eternal. And then, of course, the ultimate offense to all prohibitionists. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, the Passover meal, where they were eating roast lamb, Jesus took bread. And then he took a cup of wine, saying, this cup is the covenant in my blood. Drink of it, all of you. 
I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. As often as you drink, as often as you drink, do it in remembrance of me. This cup, my blood. Hey. Whoa, is that really the blood of Christ? Yes. Man, that guy must have been wasted 24 hours a day, eh? So, so why don't we prohibit alcohol consumption? Well, think about it. If you outlawed all potential causes of greed, what would you outlaw? Creation, right? And all potential means of giving. If you outlawed all potential causes of sexual immorality, what would you outlaw? We'd outlaw at least all sex and the future of the human race. If you outlawed alcohol, well, technically speaking, you would outlaw communion. Well, we commune with Jesus and the blood of Christ. Well, and you, and you got to ask this question then, why did God set it up this way? I mean, why is God seemingly so incredibly unsafe? Why didn't God prohibit from the start evil talking snakes and every tree of the knowledge of, of good and evil and by the way what is good and what is evil and and how do you separate the good from the evil don't be drunk with wine what's drunk have you ever asked that question i mean you must have if you've ever had a little wine what's drunk what's lust Every teenage boy that's trying to be a Christian asks that question like continually throughout the day. What's, what, what's, what's greed? People want pastors, you know, to give them that knowledge, and, and I'm just not sure that I can. So let me ask you, is it, is it greed to buy one of these? If you think so, raise your hand. If you think that's greed to buy one of those, okay, just raise your hand. I'm, okay, we've got one, okay, now I'm, I'm an authority, so you have to do what I say, okay? So, all right, now, um, how many of you think it would be greed to buy one of these? That's a new Chevy Cruze. I mean, there, there are millions of people starving in the world. Hundreds of thousands of children will go to bed tonight without enough to eat, and for just the air condition on that car, you could probably feed, feed a village. I mean, how many think it would be greed to buy one of those? How many think it would be greed to buy one of these? Whew, Ferrari Enzo. Yeah, a, lot, a lot of hands on that one. Well, you know, Solomon, King Solomon, he owned way more than a Ferrari Enzo. Is it sinful lust to look at this? Now, I told you a few weeks ago of how I lusted after the eyes of a woman in a burqa, right? Um, so maybe we need something like, like this. Okay, but... but <laughs> But, but would it be sinful, is it immoral, is this, would, it, would it be wrong to look at this? Okay, raise your hand if you think it'd be wrong to look at this. Okay, hot chick. Oh, how about this? Okay, okay well, now we're going to stop right there. But you're kind of, you kind of get in the, the flow of, of this, okay? How much wine is too much? Stand up if you think that one glass of wine 
is too much, okay? I, I want you to take this seriously. If you think one glass of wine is too much, is go ahead and, 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 and stand up, all right? So if you think one is too much, you can just go ahead and stand up. Well, okay, the person is me, all right, right now. How many of you think one glass of wine is too much? Okay, so stand up if you think that's too much. Nobody. Steve. Okay, stay sane. Now, what if you think two glasses of wine is, is too much? Then you go ahead and stand up, okay? Two glasses. If you think two is too much, you guys still... Sh if one is too much, two is too much, okay? Now, remember, the priest wasn't even allowed to drink in the sanctuary. So you go ahead and stand up if you think two is too much. How about three glasses of wine? If you think that's... If you think that's too much, okay? <sighs> yeah, it is grape juice. Um, so I'm not intoxicated, okay? However, I may have to use the restroom in just, in just a few minutes. And if you're offended, I want you to know that Francis Forgione dared me to do that, okay? So it's okay. But I, I hope you, I hope, I hope you, uh, you see the point, and, and I hope I have your attention. You see, it's confusing, right? You all stood up or didn't stand up at, at different times. It's confusing, and God set it up that way. Have dominion over all creation, but don't be greedy. Be fruitful and multiply. Don't look on a woman to lust after her. Like C.S. Lewis writes, unholiness can only grow in the close neighborhood of the holy. And so how can we be holy? I mean, it's like the line between good and evil can't truly be discerned with, with laws in a book. It's not like fruit that you can just pick off of some tree. That is the law between good and evil. Sorry, I'm burping, but, but the law between... <laughs> Good and evil, that line does not run between a Chevy Cruze and a Ferrari Enzo. The line between good and evil does not run between PG movies and R movies. The line between good and evil does not run between one beer and, and two beers. You see, see, I wish it did. Because if it did, th then I could buy sports cars right up to the line and then justify myself. Well, I, 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 I could, well, I could gawk at women right up to the line and justify myself. Well, I could drink booze right up to the line and justify myself. But it doesn't run between one beer and two beers or two beers and three beers. It runs through every human heart. And so what do I need? I need something living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit, discerning the thoughts and intentions of my heart. In the words of St. Paul, the line between good and evil runs between the old man and the new man. And now we've been talking about the old man and the new man uh, now for months. And in the last Ephesian sermon, we talked about it. This is, this is the slide I wanted to show you. This is the old man. The old man, the, the old Adam. He is the me that I think I create with my judgments. 
based on my knowledge of good and evil stolen from the tree, the tree of law. And he's an illusion. He's a lie. He's my false self. My judgments are called my choices. They are based on this lie that I create myself because I think that I create myself with, with uh, my choices. I think that I create myself. And so my choices are motivated by pride and shame and fear. And that's sin. So you see, my old man is a trap. I can't choose good motives with bad motives. I can't have faith, hope, and love motivated by pride, shame, and fear. How can I choose to make good choices if my chooser is bad? My old man is stuck on himself. He is his own deepest prison. He is the reason I hide in shame. He's the reason I lie awake at night in anxiety. He's the reason I don't enjoy people at parties. He's terrified. He's stiff. He's dead. He cannot dance. My old man. Now, my new man, my new man is the me that God creates with his judgment, with his word, who is Jesus. I took his life on a tree and he died. And yet he gave his life on a tree and he rose, living and, and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of soul and, and spirit. It's his, it's his spirit that is sent into my heart, which cries, Abba, Father. He is God's judgment. He is God's choice. And God's choice manifest in me is faith. Hope, love. Faith, hope, and love in me is the Spirit of Christ coming alive in me. Well, the old man is arrogance. The, the new man is gratitude. The old man worships himself. The new man worships God. The old man is the work of the flesh. The new man is the fruit of the Spirit. Holy Spirit planted like a, a seed in the broken soil of my heart, my soul. The, the, the old man is, I am not. He is the absence of love, and God is love. He is the absence of truth, and Jesus is the truth. He is the absence of the Spirit, and the Spirit is life. Two weeks ago, Andrew gave this great message on how we're to confess, I am not. Confess the dirt like a field of broken, dirty soil. Confess, I am not. And when we confess, I am not, it reveals, I am. And I am in me, and even as me. You see, the, 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 it's the me that God creates with a seed of faith named Jesus. The, the me that God creates with his very body broken and his blood shed. The me animated by faith, hope, and love. God's will, God's word, God's decision. Well, anyway, how do I separate my old man from my new man? Another way to say that is, can I judge myself? You know, Jesus told this parable about a farmer who sowed good seed in his field, 
And Paul says that we are God's field, and Jesus told parables about that field. We're, we're God's field, and God's the farmer, and Jesus is called the seed. Well, in the story, an enemy comes and sows tares in the very same field. Now, tares are a weed that, that looks like wheat, but isn't wheat. Tares are like false wheat. The enemy is Satan, and Satan is the father of what? Lies, not people, lies. He's the father of lies. Satan is the father of your false self. Well, anyway, the servants ask the master, they say, well, master, should we, um, should we go and pull out the tares? And the master says, well, in rooting out the tares, you'll root out the wheat. And so leave the tares until the harvest, which we know is judgment. Now, I can confess sins that I suspect are sins, right? There are some that you can confess that are p pretty obvious, but, but how can I confess every bad choice? When every bad choice is entangled with every good choice and the good choice is entangled with the bad choice, I mean, I must look something like this in space and time. If every arrogant bad choice um, we color black, like dark. I, I mean, if, if every arrogant, uh, dead choice, if every bad choice is black and, and every gracious good choice is red like blood, well, I think we must look something like this. Or maybe even infinitely more complex. We are constructed with, with choices that we make in space and time, good, good, and, good and bad. Well, if I judge myself, I probably look something like this. Because the old me, for the old me, wheat looks like tares and tares looks like wheat. Any choices that were good, I might not see because I didn't really make them. So I'd say stuff like this on Judgment Day. Well, when did I see you hungry and feed you? When did I see you naked and clothed? When were you sick and I came and, and visited you? I don't remember. And any choices I judged good might therefore be bad because I made myself the judge. And so I'd say stuff like this. Well, did I not do many mighty works in your name? Did I not cast out demons in your name? And he might look at me and say, depart from me, for I never knew you. What does the Lord not know? Only what is not, what is false, the false self, the false self who thinks he's the judge. You see, ultimately, judging me with me is a very bad judgment and just more old me because old me is the me that thinks he's the judge and then even my confession of sin becomes sin. You know, sometimes I really confess my sin and I do such a good job, I'm kind of proud of myself for how good I am at confessing sin. That's sin! Ah! And that's why in Romans 8, Paul cries out, who or seven, who will deliver me from this body of death? See, Paul actually thought he was imprisoned in his old man. Well, I'm sorry. We got all theological and philosophical there for a minute, and I was just asking a very important and practical question. What's drunk? Well, this video is taken from the front of a police cruiser, and, and, and I think this guy's drunk.
Oh, hell. How are you doing? Well, I'm great. I'm doing okay. How are you? I'm I'm not so good because you were uh, weaving all over the road there. Well, can we get one thing straight? I have not Um, been drinking. Okay. Right hand to the nose. Yeah. With the left hand. All right. And back out. I need you to recite the alphabet from Z to A backwards as fast as you can. From Z to A? Yeah. Sure. Z. Y X W V U T S R Q P O N M L K J I H G F E D C B A. Uh, All right. Remarkable. I've actually never seen anybody do that. Oh, my bladder. Feel the toe. Oh. I'm, I'm not worried about your bladder right now. Sure. Okay. Ten. All right. All right, well, you got a pretty good balance. Thank you. Uh, I want you to step, bump, step, bump, bump, step, bump, step, bump, bump. Five, six, seven, eight. Step, bump, step, bump, bump, step, bump, step, bump, bump. Hot of beret, kickball change, step, clap. Okay. Five, six, seven, eight. You know what would be good is if you hit kicked and then you kind of did that and then a barrel turn and then ha! You know? That was, that was good. That would be... That was know, really good. You a dancer? No. No, no, no. Not a, I'm, I'm just drunk. That's funny, but but that's how people get slaughtered walking home from fireworks on the 4th of July. Pickup trucks, drunk cowboys, it's evil. And yet, it's so close to good, right? I mean, that drunk cowboy looks just like a barrel of fun. Wouldn't you want to party with him? A barrel, a barrel of fun. He's lost his inhibitions. He has no shame. And he's made friends with that. He's made friends with the lady sheriff. They're dancing on the side of the road. And get this, he's the better dancer. And on top of everything else, he makes a great confession. Oh, I'm not a dancer. I'm just drunk. I am not. And the alcohol is calling the shots. Now listen closely to Ephesians 5, verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Do you remember what happened in Acts chapter 2? Pentecost, which by the way is the feast of the harvest. 
That's when the wheat is gathered and put into barns, the the harvest, and the tares are burned by consuming fire. On Pentecost, they were all gathered together, praying, waiting, as Jesus had told them, and this mighty wind came, and tongues of fire came, and then they all started singing and making melody to the Lord with all their hearts, giving thanks always and for everything, and they even did it in foreign tongues. They lost their inhibitions and formed the new community called the church. They submitted to one another and shared everything in common. They confessed themselves. Join the great dance called the kingdom of God. Well, you know the story. Great crowds gathered in Jerusalem to watch this. And some said, yep, they're drunk. And Peter stood up full of the Holy Spirit. And he said, listen to me. Uh, They're not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. This is what was prophesied by the prophet Joel that in the last days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. They're not drunk. And yet they were drunk. On holy fire. There was fire literally in in their veins. They were intoxicated with the spirit of God. Do you remember the criticism leveled against Jesus over and over again in the Gospels? He's a friend of tax He's a friend of sinners. He's a glutton and a drunkard. Well, I don't think that Jesus was a drunkard in the way they, they meant drunkard. And, and yet, like Peter Griffin said in that Family Guy episode after communion, that guy must have been wasted 24 hours a day. That's a high blood alcohol content. And was he? I mean, maybe he was intoxicated, not with alcoholic spirits, but but the Holy Spirit. He had no inhibitions. Why? How do I know that? Well, because he had no pride, no shame. No wonder people wanted to, to party with him. 24 hours a day, he was wasted on fire water. Holy Spirit, holy fire. So... So you see, it's not like holiness is the opposite of drunkenness. More like holiness is true drunkenness. And drunkenness is counterfeit holiness. So if you're an alcoholic, it could be that you desire holiness more than anyone you know. It's just that you don't exactly know how to get it. But now AA, AA is starting to work because it does what alcohol kind of did. What is AA helping you do? It's helping you confess yourself. Think about it. Why do people get drunk? Isn't it because they realize that they're not the king? They're, They're not the ruler. Instead, they're perishing and bitter in soul in the words of Proverbs, isn't it because they want to forget themselves? Because they're, they're just sick of themselves. Isn't it because they want to lose themselves? In Paul's words, they want to put off the old man. Why do people get drunk? Philosopher Jack Handy wrote this. Is there anything more beautiful than a beautiful, beautiful flamingo flying across in front of a beautiful sunset? And he's carrying a beautiful rose in his beak. And also he's carrying a very beautiful, beautiful painting with his feet. And also you're drunk. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, think about that for a minute. Does alcohol make flamingos beautiful? You know, maybe alcohol does not make flamingos beautiful. Maybe flamingos are just beautiful all the time, but you can't see them through all your pride and shame and fear. I mean, maybe people are, are that beautiful, but, but you can't see them because you're preoccupied with yourself. And uh, at least until your, yourself gets wasted, and then maybe you see them for a moment. People get drunk to lose their inhibitions and join the dance. You know, so long as a dancer is thinking, consciously judging, thinking about his dance steps, he's not r really dancing. To dance, you have to surrender to the music in order to really dance. You must suspend all your judgments and be judged, be animated, be controlled by the music of the dance, the rhythm of the dance, the logic of the dance, the logos of the dance. To really dance, you have to lose your old man. You have to lose yourself and find yourself dancing. People get drunk to lose themselves and find themselves in communion, community. God is a community. Three persons, one substance. God is love. People drink to lose themselves and love others. You, you know, you must lose yourself to love another. And, and you, all, you all know that. Maybe you haven't put those words on it, but you know that. After church, hopefully, you're going to go down to the Greek marketplace downstairs and hang out with people and talk with people. But as you talk with people, you will be battling a voice, voices in your head uh, that, will say, that will say stuff like this. Oh, man, I bet I, I, bet I sound, you sound, I, I sound, you, I sound like an idiot. Oh, gosh, I wish they, they, I wish they thought I w was, was smart. I, I wonder what they think of me. I bet they thought the sermon was so stupid that that, that wine drinking thing was just stupid. And gosh, I think I have a booger in my nose, but I can't pick it right now because I just have to stare at them and I hope that they don't see it. Oh my gosh, I hope they don't find out who I really am. But I really want them to know who I really am. I, I'm not even sure who, who I really am. Oh, oh no, I haven't listened to a word they've said for five minutes. See, I think people get drunk at parties to surrender their judgments. They get drunk at parties to say, here I am. <laughs> I'm exhausted with myself. I'm tired of myself. I want to confess myself and lose myself. I'm sick of this prison called self. I want this prison of self to just get wasted. I want to lose myself. So at last I can be free to love and be loved. And you see, the only problem is it doesn't work. Wine is a sign, not the substance. Whenever we confuse a sign with the substance, we make an idol. And so the very best signs make the very most dangerous idols. Wine is a gift. But Scripture says that wine is also a mocker. It mocks your deepest desires. So you lose yourself for a few hours, and then yourself comes back with a vengeance. You know, Jesus didn't just say you must lose yourself to find yourself. 
He said you must lose yourself for my sake and the kingdom. You see, you can only lose yourself in something greater than yourself, and alcohol is a chemical. So listen to what Paul says. He wrote, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And, 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 and now if you've struggled with this verse in the past, I'm, I'm sure you've thought something like this. Well, yeah, but I can just go buy a bottle of wine. I can't, like, buy the Spirit, right? I can go buy a, a bottle of wine. I mean, I can pick a bottle of wine off a shelf like I pick fruit off of some tree, and thus I control the wine that I hope will control me, but I can't control the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit blows where he wills. I can only invite the Spirit and wait for the Spirit. And, and how do I do that? Well, Paul writes, sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything. Now think about this. If I choose to praise the Lord, that is a very uh, unusual and, and strange choice, Right? because I can't take credit for that choice. If I take credit for praising the Lord, I'm not praising the Lord. I'm praising me. So if I praise Jesus, if I truly praise Jesus, it's to his credit. And somehow he created the choice. It's like I'm already a wee bit intoxicated with his spirit. Psalm 22, which Jesus sang on his cross, verse 3, Lord, you are holy. You inhabit the praises of your people. You see, our praises are a sanctuary that God fills with holy fire. He builds the sanctuary with his love poured out on the cross, which is the tree, and he fills the sanctuary as his spirit rises in our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And that's just the beginning, because you see, the new man longs to be continually filled with the spirit. I mean, like a river, like blood flowing in a body, like love moving between the members of the Trinity to be filled and to keep on being filled. Now, it may happen at a thought in a sermon. It may happen as you go for a walk in Florida on vacation and see a flamingo. I mean, it may happen at a line in a song that we sing or a line in a prayer that someone prays. It, it may be subtle. It may be as dramatic as tongues of fire, but it's always praise. It happens if only for a moment you lose yourself and you live to the praise of his glory. Well, when it happens, don't panic because that's what we do. When we begin to lose control, we try to seize control. When that happens, don't panic. Don't seize control. Surrender control. That's the Holy Spirit and the creation of your new man. You know, you really can't judge, judge yourself with your old self. You can't judge yourself. Paul wrote this. It's a small thing that I'm judged by any of you. I think he was having a bad day this day when he was writing to the Corinthians. It's a small thing that I'm judged by any of you. He said, I don't even judge myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It's God who will judge. You can't judge yourself, but you see, you can confess yourself. 
You can surrender yourself, and Christ's Spirit will judge you. So when you're stuck on yourself, when you're worried about yourself, when you're confused about yourself, confess yourself. Just say, here I am, what, whatever I am or whatever I'm not. Confess to God and confess to each other. I mean, I do this with Susan a lot and also Andrew Trawick, who's like one of my closest friends and people in my small group. Just, just confess. I mean, if you don't know, that's okay. Just confess yourself. Say, gosh, I drank this much and I don't know whether that was right or wrong. I yelled at my daughter and I don't know if I should have or I shouldn't have. I mean, I get all caught up in, did I say the right thing? Did I not say the right thing? And then I get stuck on myself and I just need to, I just need to say it and go there. I guess I, just, I guess I just said I don't know if that's right or if that's wrong. What I'm saying is walk into the light and worship the light and the spirit of the light will judge you. Filled with the spirit, intoxicated with the spirit. You see, I lose my old man and me intoxicated with that spirit is the new man. The spirit of Pentecost separates the wheat from the tares. The spirit burns the tares and is the wheat. The wheat is fruit of the spirit. The blood cleanses uh, the body of impurities and brings spirit, breath, which is life. Don't be drunk with wine. Be filled with the spirit. You know, in the Old Testament, this is crazy, but in numerous places, I mean, Ezekiel, Isaiah, the Psalms, other places, in the Old Testament, God's wrath is described as a cup of wine given to men in order to make them drunk. God's wrath. And, and, and men like to get drunk. See, the Spirit of God destroys our old man and we all long to have him destroyed. We, don't just, we just don't trust God to do it. So we try to do it, which is more old man. The Spirit destroys the old man and the Spirit of God fills my new man, causing him to dance, causing him to love and be loved. One of my very favorite verses is Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, sometimes called, chapter five, verse one. It's advice spoken to the groom and his bride who represent Christ in the church. Song of Songs, chapter five, verse one, eat. Eat, oh friends, drink, drink, and be drunk with love. Or perhaps drink and be drunk by love. Sing, sing until sung by love. Praise the Lord until you become a praise of the Lord. Remember Ephesians chapter one at the start of this whole study, Paul said to us, he said, he told us that we were predestined and appointed to be to the praise of his glory. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. Song of Solomon 5.1, drink and be drunk with love. Or drink and be drunk by love, because you know what? Love is your, your bridegroom. When we come to the cross, you know, we drink his love, his love poured out. We drink and we are drunk by him. Do you remember on the tree, as he was crucified, he cried out, I thirst, and they gave him sour wine. You know, the Old Testament says that Israel was God's vineyard, but she worshiped herself, she glorified herself in the power of, of the flesh and the law, and she handed the bridegroom sour wine on the tree. And then on the tree, Jesus cried out, it's finished, gave up his spirit. His spirit fell at Pentecost and his bride began to worship 
And the bridegroom drank from the fruit of his vineyard. I mean, think about that. At communion, we drink wine from an earthen vessel. And Christ drinks wine from an earthen vessel that is us. The wine is love, and it's intoxicating. Just think about that. Your love, which is his love in you, is the intoxicating spirit that our Lord longs to drink. You go to his head like a sip of sparkling burgundy brew, and he finds the very mention of you like the kicker in a julep or two. And so he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take it, eat it. And in the same manner, after supper and having given thanks, he took the cup and he said, um, this cup is the new covenant, the covenant in, in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And he had just preached for three years. That kingdom is at hand. So, bride of Christ, hear the word of the Lord. Eat, drink, and be drunk with love. Dark cups are, are wine. Light cups are juice. But I believe you can get drunk on either. So... Come to the table and drink the Lord's love for you. And then uh, go back to your seat and worship and give him the drink that he came to get. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel and worship. And so, Lord God, we thank you that what you have wanted from the foundation of the world is communion with us. And because your love is so great and so powerful and so good, we've run from you in terror and fear. But Lord God, we thank you that you met us in the path, hanging upon a tree, and gave us your body broken and bloodshed and poured out your spirit to rise in our hearts that we would cry, Abba, Father, and we would enter into a communion with you in a wedding feast, a banquet that is eternal. So Lord God, you are good. And we thank you and praise you that you have revealed it to us in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. My glasses are fogging up, but may you uh, continue to worship. You know, that's what Paul is saying in Ephesians. It's, 
It's not just when you get here and sing in church. It's everything you do is to be worshipped. That's, that's the motive for all that you do and all that you are is gratitude, praise. And uh, God gives everything to you and you give everything to him and you lose yourself in that communion of love which is the interior of the Trinity itself. You see, that's what God has destined you for. That's pretty cool. So eat. Drink. Drink and be drunk with love. In Jesus' name, amen.